You're listening to the DNB Supply Show podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Well, hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us today on the DNB Supply Radio Show, as well as the DNB Supply Podcast. And, you know, we are right in the midst of hunting season here over on the Idaho side. We're just getting ready to jump into our general rifle season or any weapon season and i know in eastern oregon lots of hunting going on or getting ready to begin and so we wanted to touch on firearm safety and hunter safety again and we're going to focus in on that today like we did last spring and today we're going to be speaking with a gentleman who does a lot of outfitting and is a hunter's education and firearm safety instructor and just as a nice reminder and refresher of some things to think about when we're going out in the field with firearms and especially when we're getting our kids involved so i hope you enjoy hearing about this hope you will enjoy the episode i really enjoyed interviewing our guest today He's got a lot of great knowledge and just a really great attitude about being in the outdoors and what a privilege it is. So enjoy the show, everybody. Well, joining me now is Andy Moore, and Andy is a hunter's education instructor here in the Treasure Valley of Idaho, and as well, he's a part-time guide for a llama outfitter and as well as another outfitter doing archery, elk hunts, and, and wolf hunts. Andy, thank you very much for joining us on the show today. Yeah, thanks, Matt, for having me. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to speaking with you. You know, we wanted to do an episode about hunter safety and firearm safety because here we are right in the middle of hunting season, and here in Idaho, at least, general rifle season will be opening up in about a week and a half, and and then I found out that you're a llama outfitter, which is something that uh, I am fascinated about so selfishly i'm going to ask you some questions about that too would that be okay yeah i'm looking forward to that (laughs) all right well let's do this andy let's start off by just kind of having you introduce yourself to our audience tell us about you and what it is you do okay yeah my name's andy and i'm really just a outdoor enthusiast i love hunting and all sorts of outdoor activities backpacking with my family and friends but uh primarily when it comes to the outdoor industry. I am a part of, you know, guiding. I guide for elk hunts and deer hunts and bear and uh, also wolf hunts. And so we do a lot of archery elk this time of year in September. And then also through the llama industry, we do guided trekking tours throughout the spring, summer, and fall. So that's kind of how I've plugged into the public and community through our outdoor activities well you know here we are we're wrapping up summer and now we're in archery season so i'm feeling pretty fortunate to have caught you at home for a half hour or so to be able to talk to you obviously this is a busy time of year for you yeah it typically is this time of year and um unfortunately in deadwood we got uh evacuated from the large fire that's happening there right now the the fire was less than a mile from the lodge and all the hunters and guides got kicked out and We had to trailer 30 horses to Cascade for safety. Oh, wow. Yeah, that fire that started on Labor Day weekend, right? I believe that's correct, yeah. Yeah, we we went up that way that weekend and went through Garden Valley, and, and the whole valley was just socked in with smoke from that fire. Yeah, that's too bad. Hopefully that's coming to an end or or it will be over by the time that uh, this, this episode comes out at the end of September. I hope so. You know, it might take a little snow. Oftentimes it does. To really put those fires out, especially when they start heading into wilderness area. Yeah, absolutely. And it has been, for sure, a bad year. 
Well, yeah, hopefully those are out soon. The whole West is ravaged by those, and that's actually a really good reminder. I'm glad you brought that up because uh, that has been a rough year uh, around the entire Pacific Northwest and West for fires. Mm-hmm. Well, you came highly recommended. We wanted to do an episode about firearm safety. We reached out to some of our vendors at DNB Supply, and bam, your name came up, and they said you need to talk to Andy. So thrilled to have you. And so I guess what I want to start off by doing is just kind of ask you, uh, how long have you been hunting? How long has this been a part of your life? Yeah, so hunting has only been a part of my life for 13 years. I'm 36 now, and I didn't come out of a hunting family. I came out of more of a fishing family. With my love of the outdoors and my love of the animals and also eating meat, my buddies that are hunters said, why don't you get to hunting? And I said, well, that makes sense. So I was about 23 years old when I started hunting. Oh, fascinating. So, yeah, you would assume that it would be something that you grew up with and had been doing your whole life, but you kind of got introduced to it by friends later in life. Now, you mentioned your love of meat eating. Is it something uh, where you value the meat that you're eating more if you're harvesting it yourself? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, elk, even though it's kind of a red meat, it's just as um, quality meat as, say, chicken when it comes to low in cholesterol. And so it's a, it's a real health food. But I know that meat at the store is pretty expensive. And I'll tell you, having a freezer full of meat makes it a whole lot easier to access it throughout the year and just have as much as you want. But it is definitely also the accomplishment of harvesting your own meat and butchering your own meat, processing your own meat. To me, that's um, kind of a cool tradition that, you know, we can carry on. Uh, and I really enjoy it. It makes you appreciate what's on your plate a lot more. I can tell you that when you can remember, hey, you know, was this your elk or was this my elk that we packed out? Oh, man, I remember packing that up that mountain. You know, it's just uh, kind of fun to reminisce on that as you're having your meal i i completely concur and sadly enough in the past tense i hunted for the same reason now i still do but not nearly like i used to but i think the reason that that changed was we finally bought a farm and we started raising livestock and we'll go ahead and we'll butcher right here on our farm and and fill our freezer that way and it's kind of taken some of that drive away from me that might be the only negative thing about getting my own farm is that i don't hunt like i once did because of that yeah, that that would make sense. I mean, if you've got uh, your food right in the pasture, that's a little easier way to get it. <laughs> easier is relative. It's, I don't have to pack it up a mountain, yeah, but uh, there are times during the year where it doesn't feel easier. Well, I'll, t- <laughs> I'll tell you what, Andy, let's take our first break, and then when we come back, I want to start talking about uh, hunter safety and firearm safety and all of that, okay? Sounds good, Matt. Thanks. Travel back in time for an immersive and inspiring lesson in science, technology, engineering, and history at the Warhawk Air Museum in Nampa, Idaho. At the Warhawk, you and your family will find some of the most iconic classic planes found anywhere in the West and learn how American aviation technology evolved from propellers to jet engines. And while you're there, you'll come to know the personal stories of the veterans whose commitment and sacrifice helped make our nation what it is today. For passes and more information about visiting the Warhawk Museum, go to warhawkairmuseum.org. Doc Martens became a household name in 1960 when their first work boot with a revolutionary air cushion sole rolled off the production line. Since then, they've been supporting the workforce from factory floor to construction sites with lightweight, flexible footwear that keeps you comfortable and safe with tons of toe protection, waterproof leather, and slip-resistant soles. Doc Martens Work Boots, industrial strength for any job site. Pick up a pair today at your favorite D&B Supply. 
All right, Andy. Well, now that we're back, I, I guess we should jump into talking about firearm safety. So you've got this love of the outdoors, of hunting. You, you're, you've been doing it for only 13 years, uh, but obviously you developed a passion for that. So what led you to want to start teaching hunter safety? You know, I, I worked with a group of students or I had for 15 years in Nampa at a church. And, you know, it's a group of 35 students. And I think a lot of them had this interest in hunting and guns, but not everyone comes from a hunting family or a family that uh, has guns in the house. However, Idaho, you know, has a very strong hunting and gun culture. And so I realized most of my students at some point were going to be exposed to guns, wild game, or a hunting opportunity. You know, since a lot of them didn't have parents uh, or family members that were involved in this, I wanted to give them an avenue to get involved. So I really wanted to take the students out into the woods and show them the experience firsthand. But I'm passionate about safety out in the woods for myself and for them and for others around us. So I felt it appropriate to put on a class. And the best way to do that was to tap into what Fish and Game has already set up in their Hunter's Ed program. And so I became an instructor and started opening the class up first to those within our little community that I was a part of. And then we would also open it up if we had extra spots, we would always open it up to the general public and have them join us as well. So you you were compelled to teach. You you wanted to help people and share this message and you went out looking and found basically the curriculum that Fishing Game had already set up. Yeah, that's absolutely it. Um, not only is it already set up and it's a good curriculum, it's also what steps you have to take to become legal in the case that you do want to hunt. If you don't want to hunt, I would tell my students, even if you don't ever want to hunt, that's fine. But living in this area, it'd be good to have a knowledge of guns and gun safety, proper handling. And so I could uh, get people in the class that didn't want to hunt, but just knew it was uh, an important factor in our culture here to be safe with firearms. Yeah, that's right. Because even if you don't want to hunt, and and for parents, even if you're not going to keep firearms in your own home, there's a good chance that at some point your kids or yourself are going to be in a house that has firearms in it. And who knows if you're going to be exposed to that, right? And, and you need to know some safety tips. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Well, now let me ask you. So first night of class, what's the first thing that you tell your students on the, on the first night of class when you start getting into safety around firearms? So, you know, really a lot of students come in with this idea of guns are cool and they see guns on the movies and they want to put an AR-15 in their hands and shoot out a pumpkin or something, you know, and watch it blow up. And so the idea of kind of reining them in a little bit and getting them a little bit somber and understanding just how serious the gun in your hand is. So we, we do talk about this is a fun experience, but, you know, that opening hour of class is really a let's get serious about this we're going to tell you that this is a life and death issue here and so if you do not follow these instructions if you do not take this class seriously it's going to hurt your performance so long it's going to hurt your safety it could uh, hurt those around you so we kind of bring it to a very serious you know reflection that first hour so they they understand what this is about it's it's not about fun at first you know it's not about those aren't the priorities of the class the priorities of the class are safety and to get their their mind in the right place and i think that's been very helpful and it's helped them learn uh, and really dig in deeper on the concepts that we have to teach them the following days 
So you, you kind of get them motivated to be active learners and participants in the class and, and realize what it's all about. Absolutely. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, that's that's a really good idea uh, to kind of wake them up and say, hey, okay, we'll get to the fun part. But, but to get to the fun part, we have to be responsible for the safety of everybody around us and ourselves before we can get to that point. I like that. I like that. Well, I'll tell you what, Andy, let's take another break. And when we come back, I want to start talking about some of the rules of firearm safety and those different things that you teach. All right, looking forward to it. Know what boots work as hard as you do? Georgia boots, available to try on for size at D&B Supply. If you're on your feet all day, Georgia boots knows the feeling. That's why they've designed exclusive comfort systems that cushion and support down to the bottom of your soles. While on the surface, they shield you from tough conditions with one of the most durable leathers out there. See why they earned the nickname of America's Hardest Working Boots and pick up a pair of Georgia boots at your favorite D&B Supply. For cats and kittens with carnivorous cravings, D&B carries Merrick Perfect Bistro Grain-Free Cat Food, all-natural high-protein food that's a great value. Merrick Grain-Free Foods are cooked in the USA with the best ingredients for complete nutrition. There's nothing but the good stuff in the recipe, with no corn, wheat, soy, or byproducts. And without the grain, it's easier for your furry friend to digest. Merrick Grain-Free Cat Food, available at select D&B Supply Stores. Okay, Andy, well, let's talk about, I guess, the principal rules of firearm safety that you teach. And maybe I'm phrasing that wrong, but but what are the, the main things that you teach everybody, the message you want to get out today to people who are here in this show? Yeah, so... I mean, you can approach that kind of in a couple of different ways, but, you know, we do teach 10 commandments of firearm safety. I won't go through all of those because that would take some time, but they really hit on some principles that are going to keep you safe before you use your firearm, after you use your firearm. A couple of them would be watch your muzzle. That's number one. If you're always watching your muzzle, not physically looking at, but paying attention to where it's pointed at all times, that's kind of your, your safety net. If everything else goes wrong, if you're pointing your firearm in a safe direction, even in an accidental misfire or something with the mechanism in the gun fails and discharges, if it's pointed in a safe directions at all time, then that's a safe gun. But there's several other things that, that we go through, such as when you're loading and unloading your firearm into a vehicle, always, always having it unloaded. When you're handing a gun to a person or receiving it, always make sure it's unloaded before you receive it. So make sure you just have them, you have the action open so you can actually see physically that there's nothing loaded in it. Unloading your weapon for obstacles, fences, stream crossings. Don't ever run with a loaded weapon. So we cover those sort of basics. of uh, And also at home, storing your, your firearm separately from your ammunition, keeping it in a locked, safe position, keeping it from children or even unsafe adults. You know, then obvious things like don't mix alcohol and and firearms and things like that. That should be obvious, but still need to be taught. Uh, Those would be some of the, I would say, the the educational points that we hit on. But we also hit a lot on practical points. We put weapons in their hands and we let them carry them around and we, we observe them and give them tips to be more safe with that gun. So you're getting really practical in the teaching and in getting the weapons into their hands. Yeah, that's my favorite part, actually. I love putting a weapon in the hand and, and see, we teach different carries for their gun, you know, trail carry or cradle. And, and so I will have them walk in a figure eight around two other people 
and asked them to change their carrying position. And it really stretched their mind, okay, how am I going to change this carrying position from one to the other without pointing it at either of these people? And these are unloaded, you know, even both out of the gun situations where the safety is very high there. But it shows them just how quickly they can forget where their muzzles are because they're so focused on maybe changing a position. And sometimes I'll even throw them a curveball and say, oh, I just dropped my pencil. Will you grab it? And it's interesting how a little distraction can totally derail the student from what they were doing, and they immediately point the gun right at someone. And uh, it's, it's just a good reflection for them to see just how easy it is to make a mistake with that firearm in your hands. Yeah, that's a great way of doing that. I've never, ever considered that or gone through anything like that, but that really makes a ton of sense for people realizing they have to shift where that barrel is pointed as the situation changes. That's right. Now, the direction of the barrel obviously is, or the muzzle is so important because if something goes wrong, if everything else fails, you don't want that weapon pointed at a person. Once you feel like you have touched on that enough, what are the next safety steps that you teach people? After the muzzle being pointed in the right direction, I mean, the list I kind of went through previously here a minute ago is, is really what we go through. We also talk about shooting positions and then knowing what's beyond and in front of your target. That's a big one. So don't ever shoot skyline. So there's some practical lessons there. Those are some of the, the top things that we teach, although there's things that I also like to teach when I get out in the field with them that are based around these concepts. Because really field time is really where you can put that classroom knowledge to practical use. And, and I like to be there to, to watch that as well and to manage that and to teach them even further once we're in the field. What do you do for people so when it's six months down the road or it's next hunting season or whatever it may be that kind of refreshes them? What is there some key that you give them like each and every time that you open the, the gun safe or each and every time that you pick up a gun to remind them to think about these safety rules? I think the Ten Commandments of Firearm Safety, each student has a booklet with that. It's very easy to tear that out and put it into a good location where you can actually just breeze through those really quickly just to refresh your mind. But I'll, I'll tell you one thing I think a key in continuing this is actually hunting with people that you see have the highest standard of safety. And I can tell you from my own personal experience, there are some people that I've hunted with and I've looked down their muzzle a dozen times. And it's, it's very concerning. Right. Um, but there's some people I hunt with, and you can tell they are very tuned in with where their muzzle's pointed, whether they have ammunition uh, in their gun or not, those sort of things. So I'd say, you know, if you want to be a safety guru, then hunt with guys that, that make safety a priority. Yeah, that makes sense. There's a saying out there that you'll become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. It makes sense in hunting, too. You're going to be as safe or as unsafe yeah. as the people that you spend time hunting with. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I that's, agree. That's a great idea, Andy. Thank you for that. Well, I'll tell you what. Take another break. When we come back, I want to ask you about some things I remember learning when I took hunter safety a long time ago and see if you still teach those, all right? 
<laughs> Sounds good. Smart clothes are all the rage in Silicon Valley. But for us active Westerners, smart doesn't need to connect to the internet. It just needs to work right. Smart wool socks do exactly that. They're made of merino wool that doesn't itch. They're machine washable and dryer safe. Merino wool keeps you at exactly the right temperature, wicking away sweat so you're dry and warm when you need to be. They're much thinner than traditional wool, so no need to go up a size in your boot to fit your socks. Smart wool socks, the smartest thing you'll ever do for your feet. Slip into a pair today at your favorite D&B supply. Did you know that a horse's top line plays an important role in how that horse performs, looks, and feels? That's why Neutrina offers top line balance in select horse feeds. Available at D&B Supply. Not all feeds are created equal, and not all feeds can improve a horse's top line. It took years of research and field trials to develop this unique approach to equine health. So look for the top line balance logo on select Neutrina horse feeds. For a healthier top line, stop on by d and Supply for top-line balance from Neutrina. All right, Andy. Well, we teased this on the other side of the break, but I'm I'm thinking back, and it, you know, hunter safety was such a significant thing in my life when I was a young man. I took it in, oh boy, I took it in the early 1980s, but you know, all the boys I knew that were older than me, and I'm saying boys because back then, I, I don't know that I knew any girls that took it back then, which is a lot different yeah. now, I know. Uh, my daughter will be taking it soon, and, and a lot of girls that we know through 4-H and things like that have too, so I'm not excluding girls, but just of my own experience... All the older boys were taking it, and I couldn't wait to take it. So it made a big mark on me. And I can remember two of the things that really stood out to me that they taught us. One was about a double feed in a shotgun, and they had a shotgun. It was a 12-gauge where somebody had accidentally loaded 20-gauge shells into the weapon, but it slid down in the barrel. Then they loaded a 12-gauge shell in there, fired it. Uh, it caused an explosion. The rib or the ventilated rib on top had curled back up over the weapon. It had harmed the person shooting the gun, and that really stood out to me. And then they also taught us about some other safety things, just being in the field, like hypothermia and what it was and how to avoid it and what the warning signs were and things like that. If you go through a hunter safety course today, do you still teach about those type of things as well? Absolutely. And having the right ammunition for the right gun, we do a fun little exercise. We try to make it fun. We have a little shopping cart with boxes of ammunition and then we have guns laying on the table without bolts in them. And the students will have to go up, pick a gun look at the barrel to find out what's stamped on it. And then they have to go shopping in their little shopping cart and find the right ammunition and match it properly. So we do some fun things like that to show them the importance of you have to have the matching label on that box as you do on your barrel. Uh, Also with the hypothermia, absolutely. We cover that. We cover heat stroke and heat exhaustion. And those are also things that are fairly important to me being a guide because during our first aid preparation in classes, we have to learn all about hypothermia, how to address it, how to address um, even isolated frostbite and heat exhaustion and that sort of thing. So that stuff's pretty important out there, especially when you're hunting late season, late October, November, even December hunts, then you're, you're out there in the harsh elements. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, that has stuck with me for, oh boy, uh, 30 plus years now. I can remember it like it was yesterday. So yeah, those things really stick out to you when you when you take a class like that, especially as a young person. Absolutely. Well, I wanted to ask you just some tips for our parents out there or other adults who may be teaching young people about how to use firearms or how to shoot for the first time. What do you recommend uh, when somebody is taking 
another person out to teach them to shoot for the first time. How do you suggest they do that? Well, obviously the the training starts long before that first moment of taking them out and, and putting a gun in their hands. So to not ignore the covering the basics, even with my son, before I, I gave him his first gun, he had to practice with a broom in his hand how he was going to carry his gun. And, and not just once, but I mean, he had to practice it until I thought he was proficient at carrying this firearm. And a broom is a great way because you just say, that's your muzzle. Don't point it at uh, anything unsafe. And I'm going to watch it. And, you know, you, you test them. So, you know, knowing that they're comfortable with the gun first, so they're safe before they get to the range. But, you know, at, at a range, you know, making sure, obviously, safety-wise, you always have the gun pointed down range, going back and forth from your table to your vehicle, that your gun is already unloaded, and it was unloaded while it was pointing down range. And then for actual practical stuff, I'd say let's make it fun for these, these guys because, you know, shooting can be frustrating for them if they're not hitting the target. Get a big target. Uh, with my son, I've got these big paper plates, and they're like a tiger or an elephant. Mm-hmm. It's kind of fun to shoot that kind of plate for them. They're, oh, cool, I got it in the ear or whatever. You know, It's a fun experience for them, and get them close enough at first. It's not really an accuracy thing. It's more of a gun handling and procedure of putting your safety on and off. So don't worry so much about their accuracy, how far they're shooting. Let's just get them to where they're hitting the target and they're getting the whole procedure down of handling the gun and shooting the gun. And let's make it fun for them so they'd like to go out again and again and we could start adding on that foundation. Yeah, that is a great idea. And I think we have so many neat things now that we didn't necessarily have when you and I were younger, but like those plates with the pictures on them and and things that uh, can make it even more interesting for the kids. Not that taking a young man or a young lady out to shoot a gun has ever not been interesting, but now it's even more so. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you, when a parent is coming to you, they're having their child go through hunter safety, or maybe they're going through themselves, and they want to take their young man, their young woman out hunting for the first time, do you recommend that the adult be hunting as well when they're taking the the kids out for the very first time, or should they just leave the gun in the truck or at home and focus solely on watching that young man or young woman? I would definitely recommend that. And I don't ever carry a gun with me when I'm taking someone out to hunt their first animal. My job there is to see them be successful, not necessarily successful shooting something, but just successful in their pursuit and the whole experience. And part of that, obviously, is the safety aspect. And if you've got to take care of your own gun and other distractions, you're not being a great teacher on helping that person, mentoring them to be the hunter and having gun safety like you should be mentoring them. So, you know, just leave your gun behind and just enjoy the experience with that new hunter. I mean, that that is one of the biggest rewards for me in hunting is seeing a new hunter get their first animal or even the pursuit of their first animal and just to get their feet wet. They're so excited. Don't minimize that by also focusing on your own hunt. So absolutely, safety-wise, it's definitely a great choice to leave your gun behind to focus on a student, but also the, the experience, it's also a good decision for that. I wanted to ask you along those same lines about wearing orange or about wearing colors that other hunters can see and can identify. Can you clarify this rule for us in Idaho? As an adult, how much orange or reflective colors are you required to wear, or are you required to wear any at all? Not in Idaho. So in Idaho, there is no law that requires you to wear orange. But my recommendation, obviously, first, make sure you're following the law and going above and beyond it. 
But secondly, a lot of it depends on your situation. If you're hunting, what kind of country you're hunting, you know, is it open? Is it dense? And, you know, we hear of a lot of hunting accidents where someone's sneaking through the brush and their hunting partner, you know, sneaking through the brush 100 yards away and they get emotional and excited and they shoot at the movement in the brush, which, you know, breaks several different rules on several different levels. But in that situation, I would say the guy's going to want to wear orange. And this is, I'm talking about big game hunting. Now, in bird hunting, there is requirements on how much orange you want to wear or need to wear. And, and so you're going to want to follow the regulations closely on that for safety, first and foremost. And secondly, you want to be a law-abiding citizen, and, and you will get in trouble if you don't. So, And for good reason. Now, what about when you're walking in the field and you're looking for game? Do you teach people to have a round in the chamber? Or do you teach them to, to chamber around when they see game? At this point in my life, I'm a huge advocate of no round in the chamber. I have seen some accidental detonations, and that is never a fun thing. So I kind of figure if if it comes down to that you know, split second that you're not able to get around in your gun, that's just the way it is. Hunt all day and be safe. Don't put a round in your chamber. I can tell you I'm not just throwing baloney out here. I'm... I don't hunt with around in my chamber. Now, if I know that I'm, I've snuck up a certain distance and now I'm within range and I know there's an animal that's right in front of me and I know they could jump up any time, but I can't see them, I will put around in my gun at that moment. But I'm totally focused on what is going on at hand in that moment. It's not just a walk through a park at that point. So, but for all intents and purposes, hunt without the round in your chamber that's what i recommend let's take another commercial break and then when we come back i have got to ask you about outfitting with llamas all right yeah that sounds good dnb knows that life in the west is defined by hard work innovation and constant improvement these values made the west what it is today and these are the values that have made wrangler the defining western brand since 1947 wrangler apparel is designed to feel good in the saddle look sharp at the rodeo and work hard on the ranch that's why wrangler fits with classic western heritage like a boot in a stirrup for clothing that's a good value and steeped in western values stock up on Wrangler at your favorite D&B supply. A well-worn pair of Danner boots has become a hallmark for hard-working and hard-playing people in the West, and everywhere else for that matter. Find your next pair of long-lasting, great-looking, made-in-the-USA Danner boots at D&B Supply. Hold a Danner boot in your hand, and you'll notice the handcrafted precision. Try it on, and you'll feel the difference. Test it against the elements, and you'll appreciate the value of a product that's built to last. From classic hiking boots to handcrafted work boots to fashion-forward looks to fit your daily life, stop on by D&B Supply to try Danner boots on for size okay andy well i i for my own selfish reasons i want to ask you about outfitting with llamas but i guess before i do that before we end the discussion about firearm safety hunter safety what else should we tell our audience that i have not asked you about well man i think we've exhausted just about everything but i would say just remember that muzzling your gun can only cause destruction so you do not point it at anything you're not wanting to shoot at and do not use your scope as a binocular, which I've seen people do. And oftentimes they pull it up and they see that movement that they caught was a person. And now they're pointing their gun. So just remember that muzzle is a, is a, a weapon of destruction. It's only going to cause harm to what you aim it at. And you have to remember that as you put that in your hands to be responsible. It, it comes with a huge responsibility and we cannot belittle that at all. I guess that's how I sum it up. 
Well, I think that's great. And it's a reminder that when you go out in the field, you're responsible for your own safety. You're responsible for the safety around you. But you're responsible for the welfare and and the longevity of hunting for everybody in general, too, because we don't want to be making bad mistakes that puts a black eye on hunters or the sport of hunting and can ultimately reduce our opportunities. Absolutely. I agree. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Now, I've got to ask you, llamas, such an exotic animal. They come out of South America, don't they? That's right. Yeah. How did you get involved? I mean, obviously, you were talking about moving horses out of the reservoir when the fire came in. So, you're you're using horses in some aspects, too. How did you get involved with llamas? Yeah, in Deadwood, we use horses and mules, but I shouldn't say I, but my wife has a horse, and I've dabbled with mules, and I've trained some mules, and I like horses and mules, so... But for me, I love hiking, and I love backpacking, and as long as I can use my own two feet to get from one place to another, I would prefer that over using a horse. But when you want to go further and further, and you realize as you get older and hopefully smarter, (laughs) you don't want to put all this weight on your back and make four trips with 80 pounds on your back. And I thought, what's the alternative? And, you know, there's other critters out there that can pack for you, but there's pack goats and there's burrows and you know but the llamas just seem to be for what i was looking for they seem to be the right choice for me they're just a great sure-footed low maintenance easy keepers easy to feed easy to maintain and they're just healthy by nature so they're hard to slow down they just uh started making more sense to me and we bought one and started using that one and it worked out with success and and now I have uh, 11 here on my property, and they're great little critters. I love them. So when you go out into the backcountry, will you take all 11? Nope. I have uh, five females right now. Two are moms, two are babies, and one is a yearling. And I have six male packers. So those are my packers. Five of them are mine. One of them I'm training for the gentleman that I outfit for Wilderness Ridge Trail Llamas in eastern Idaho. Basically, five of them that I've been using the last few seasons, last year they packed out seven elk, and they do a fantastic job at it. How interesting. So what does it take to train a llama to get it up to the point where you can use it in the backcountry? So I've bought llamas old, and I've bought them young. I've trained them from babies, and I've trained them, you know, when they're five years old. Training from a baby is always easier. They're way more receptive to what you want to do, but The older ones, I got three last year that were, you know, five years old, and each one had their own little problems, whether that was they didn't like being touched around the rear end and they pick out a little bit, or they just, you know, maybe they'd freak out if you put something on their back. But you get them comfortable um, with you, the trust level, just by spending time, feeding them some grain, just time spent with them. And then uh, you got to get them ready to halter broke. So you got to get that halter on and off. If you get it on them every day, pull it off, uh, then start getting used to that. Oh, you know, my owner's not trying to kill me. This is different, <laughs> but they start tolerating it, and then they start, it just becomes a norm for them. But you, you want them to get comfortable with having a pad on their back and take it off and put it on. And, and then it's time to, you know, walk them around the property. Leading them is one of the most difficult things, I would say, to get them over this, this idea of when you pull on that lead rope, their instinct, and most animals are going to pull back, like, Whatever you're doing to me, I'm going to do the opposite. And so it, it takes a, a real eye for knowing when to pull and when to release. And I learned a lot of this from training mules. You've got to put pressure on, and then right when they're willing to take a step, you release that pressure so they know, oh, 
that's what I want to do. I want the release of this pressure. So right when I take a step, that releases it. And that's kind of, you, you have to figure out how they think and work with it. So it's, it's a process, but I'll tell you, they are so smart. One day they'll, they'll kind of be goofing up on one thing, but the next day they might get it perfect because they've, they've already thought through that and gone, that's not so bad. And I mean, I could tell stories after stories about that. Creek crossings and rocks and this and that were, man, they just did awesome the second time where the first time it was just a blow up. But I could talk on and on about that. But yeah, it's, it's not a difficult task, really. If you know how to kind of speak llama, so to speak, <laughs> it's not that difficult of a task to get them going. I mean, these are the animals that have been packing for people for hundreds of years. So it's not new for, for this animal to do that sort of thing. And so I would think it's almost built into them. You know, they're, they're a great beast of burden. Well, thanks for sharing a little bit about that. It's it's a fascinating thing. Now, is packing with llamas growing in our region here in, in Idaho and Oregon and this area? Yeah, it's, it is absolutely growing. I think people have given llamas kind of the recognition and the respect due to them, you know, for what they can actually handle, the weight they can handle and the distances. And so, yeah, it's growing. There's a lot of guys that are pursuing more backcountry hunting, bow hunting and rifle hunting and, and realize to do it ethically, you have to have an exit strategy for your meat, you know, in September, or your meat could spoil if you can't get it all out within two days. Mm-hmm. And so guys are looking at, what's my options? Horses aren't an option for a lot of guys, but llamas and even goats are an option. And so they're looking at these other options that are more manageable for them and do work out very well. So what happens when a llama meets a horse or a mule on the trail? Oh, this is a bad situation. And... It happens quite frequently when you're in areas like uh, we were in the Grand Teton, the Teton Mountain Range there in Wyoming here a month ago, and it's a big horse area. And so really, um, as a llama person, I want to respect that the person on the horse's back is in great danger. I know that already because horses do not like coming across llamas, and they can spook very, very easily. So in that situation, I always just yell out. As soon as I see a horse, I yell out, I have llamas. And I also ask, what would you like me to do? I'll do whatever you want, you know, basically. You know, we want to keep a good relationship with everyone else on the trail, and we realize it's a danger. it can be a dangerous situation. And most horse people are very cordial and very nice. That Thank you so much for saying that. You know, we'll pull our horses off the side, and you can walk by. And honestly, that's the best way to handle that situation is have the horses pull off the trail mm-hmm. uh, as far as they can. Face the llamas because they should be facing their fear. At least that's worked best with our horse and, and mules. Um, and then the llamas can go by. And then once there's a little distance, the horses can get back on the trail. But it is a serious situation that uh, it can be very dangerous if, if it's not taken care of appropriately. Thanks for that. I I do think it's increasing. And of course, uh, there will be more llamas and horses running into each other on the trail. So that's a really good tip. Thanks, Andy. You bet. Well, hey, thank you very much for coming on today. You've given us a ton of great information. I think it's going to inspire a lot of people to get into hunter safety, take it, get their kids into it, and to get out there in the backcountry and to get out there into nature and the woods. So really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, you bet, man. I, I really appreciate you having me and uh, letting me share some of my passion with you. And, um, and hey, you got to get out and get hunting, too. <laughs> I will. I know. I beat myself up for that all the time. I've let the farm completely take over, but uh, I do like getting out there, so I will. I promise. 
right, man. Sounds like a plan. I appreciate it. Thank you all for joining us today, and here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle, however you define it. For the DNB Show, I'm Matt Breckwald.